Well, it truly is a, a joy to be with you. And uh, wow, that was some worship. Is it always like this on a Sunday evening? I'll travel, I'll travel all the way from Shropshire for that, for that worship with this group. Maybe you could come, come with me back to, to our churches there. Wow, really, this was quite special. And um, I want to start by asking a question. And the question is, what are you passionate about? Now, I think those on the stage, we might be able to, you might be able to answer that question. What are you passionate about? But how would you, the rest, the rest of the congregation, what would you say? What are you really, what are your passions? What really gets you excited? Are there any rugby fans here? Or are they all down the pub? <laughs> Just watching the quarterfinal. Is it sport? Rugby, football, certainly music, I'm sure. What are some other things? Do you want to shout out? What are you passionate about? Sorry? Friends, did I hear? Family? Fashion? Jesus? That's the right answer. (laughs) Well, we can be passionate about many things. You know what happens when you talk to someone and you just hit on, this is what they really like. You know, their eyes start glinting and they, you know, they'll get their phone out and start showing you their grandchildren and you just, oh, they're so passionate about this. Or they're talking about their latest mountain bike or whatever it might be. We know what it is like when somebody is really passionate about something. We know what it's like to be passionate about something. Well, here... In Romans chapter 15, we, we have a little glimpse of the Apostle Paul and, and what is he passionate about. I, I wonder, as you think of this great apostle who writes all these letters in the New Testament, what, what do you think he was passionate about? He was a tent maker. He goes to Corinth, he meets Aquila and Priscilla, and they're also tent makers. You imagine him sitting up late at night comparing stitching patterns and talking about the latest designs. Maybe, maybe he was passionate about his his um, profession, that maybe certainly he'd have been passionate about that theological understanding of the scriptures and how they point to Christ. And well, we see that coming through his writings, don't we? Passion about lots of things. In, in Romans chapter 15, from verse 19, the second part of 19 down, he says this, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I've fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Uh, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And when we follow the Apostle Paul through the book of Acts and, of course, through all of his letters, we see that passion for preaching, don't we? The passion for preaching and for making Christ known, the passion for mission. And what I'd like to do briefly this evening together is to try and answer the question, where did Paul's passion come from? Where did that passion flow from, that passionate desire to, to make Christ known, to go to places where, uh, and fully proclaim the gospel and not build on someone else's foundation? He says in verse 24, uh, I, I want to go to Spain, and he repeats that idea in verse 28. Why do you want to go to Spain, Paul? Why are you so passionate about going there? What's, what's your secret for being so passionate about mission and about preaching the good news of Jesus? Well, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, so I hope you're ready with your Bibles, because we are in Romans 15, but I want to jump to Philippians chapter 3, because Philippians chapter 3, I just love this text, because we just have a glimpse, 
into Paul. And it's one of those times in the New Testament where we hear just a little bit of Paul's testimony. In fact, there's a number of times. It's Acts 9. I shared this morning in the morning services something of Paul's testimony, that Saul of Tarsus meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. Well, we've got his testimony there. We've got his testimony when he speaks to the crowds in Jerusalem in Acts 22. And then in Acts 26, he's sharing his life story to King Agrippa. Three times we've got Paul's testimony. And then a couple of other times through his letters, he hints at his life before Christ and what's changed since he's come to know Christ. And we just love, look, at, look, look with me from uh, chapter 3, verses 4 down. Paul speaks about the things he used to trust in. It seems to me there are seven things he says. Um, I used to, or I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm from the people of Israel, not just that, from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. I didn't just follow the law. I, I taught others to follow the law. As for zeal, as for passion, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Seven things, he said, I was pretty proud of myself because I was so religious. I ticked all the boxes. I was a, I was a super Pharisee. I was doing everything right. He writes to the Galatians, I, would, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. I was extremely zealous, extremely passionate for the traditions of my father's. We have this picture of Paul. He is completely sold out, going in this direction, saying, this is the right way. I'm living my life for God. And then he meets Jesus and everything changes. His life after his conversion, that passion for religion is replaced with a passion for Jesus. He, he, he writes, my religion finds its fulfillment in Jesus. I now see all the Old Testament prophets and teaching was pointing towards Jesus. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Verse 7, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I've, I've tried being religious. I've tried following all the law. I've been a Pharisee. I've taught other people to follow the law. I've tried to please God with religion. But what was to my profit, I now consider loss. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Wow, this is pretty spectacular. This morning, I spoke on the boundless riches of Christ and how Paul wrote about that, the limitless riches of Christ. And, and here he's saying, I consider everything a loss compared with the knowledge of, of knowing Christ. And he goes on into verse 8. Um, it gets kind of even more extreme here. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them as garbage that I may gain Christ. That word garbage is a really strong word. It's actually a bit stronger than just garbage. It, it means literally something to be 
thrown out to the dogs, something that is filthy, something that's disgusting. And we could look at Paul's life and say, but but you were quite religious. You were very religious. You were doing everything that you thought you should do to please God. You were teaching others to do that. Paul, how can you say that you consider this past life as, as rubbish, as something to be thrown out to the dogs? But he's saying, my religion... My position in society, my family, my friends, my ambition. Nothing, nothing is like being, uh, nothing is compared to knowing Christ, being found in him, knowing him. That's my passion, says Paul. Verse 9, my righteousness comes from God. It's not the things I do to try and please God. It's what God has done for me. I love the book by Philip Yancey, What's So Amazing About Grace. I'm sure many of you have read that book. And one thing that really spoke to me is the back cover of the book. On the back cover, Yancey writes this, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. And I remember when I read that the first time, I thought, oh, that sounds good. And then I stopped and thought, do do I actually believe that? There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. God knows everything about me and he still loves me. And so often I think we feel that if we do just a little bit more, God will love us more. If we, But God... God's love for us doesn't depend on what we do for him. God's love for us depends on the reality that Jesus Christ has come and he is our righteousness. It's not what we do for him, it's what he has done for us. And Paul goes on after he speaks about this righteousness that comes from God. Then he says in verse 10, I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his, in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And we can say, yeah, that sounds good. And then we stop and think, hold on a sec, Paul. You've been walking with Christ when you've written this. You've been walking with Christ for 23, 25 years. You've been one of the greatest theological minds. You've been teaching others what it means to follow Christ. You've been serving on the mission field, proclaiming the gospel of Christ for 10 years. You've suffered so much. Paul, how can you say, I want to know Christ? You already know him. You've been preaching him and teaching about him. How can you, towards the end of your life, when you're in some sort of house arrest, How can you write? How can you write, rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I say rejoice. But how can you write, I want to know Christ, because you know him? And of course, the word for to know that Paul writes here isn't just a theoretical knowledge. He's not just saying, I want to know a few more facts about him, and I'd love to know him a bit better. No, he's saying, I want to know and experience him. That's the word, literally. I want to experience Christ. That intimate, close relationship with him. Yes, I know him and I've been preaching about him, but I want to know him more. That's my passion. That's what I want. That's what we see Paul is saying. 
passionate about knowing Christ. And when I read and study these sort of texts, I, I can't but think of myself, Lord, do I, do I share something of that passion for you? When I think of all the distractions, all the things that vie for my attention, when I think of waking up every morning and I have the Bible here and I have my tablet and I just want to read the football scores and just check and then it just goes on and on and on. But I, I need to be in God's word. What's my priority? Do I want to know Christ? Is that my driving passion? You see, we started in Romans chapter 15, and I was talking about Paul's passion for mission and his passion for preaching and taking the gospel to places where Christ wasn't known. I want to suggest that Paul's dedication and passion for mission was not his primary passion. First and foremost, Paul's passion was to know Christ. And his passion for mission and preaching and making Christ known came out of that desire to know Christ, to live with him, to grow in him. Paul was passionate firstly about knowing Christ and then the involvement in mission and the passion for making Christ known flowed out of that. We see Paul's understanding of the gospel. The wonderful truths we, I was reminding us of as we read in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. We are accepted by God. We're forgiven by God. Christ has taken our punishment and we are being transformed into the people that God wants us to be. This evening, as you are listening and considering with me Paul's passion, I ask you, do you know Jesus in this way that Paul is writing about knowing Jesus? Do you have that desire to walk with him, to grow in him, to be known by him and to love him more? There's so many times, isn't there, in scriptures where we just, we're just blown away by what the different writers are saying. And I think of in Romans, when Paul, Romans is a really difficult letter to understand all these deep theological truths. And he's writing some d- difficult things about being in, engrafted branches and, and, and Jews and Gentiles and the, the, the relationship. And then in chapter 11, he just stops writing and just bursts into song. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wis- wisdom and the knowledge of God. I wonder sometimes whether he was writing or he had a scribe and the scribe was just saying, slow down, Paul. But he's so excited about these theological truths. And the more he's studying and the more he's writing and encouraging others to know the same, he can't just, he can't hold himself back. He just bursts into song when he's writing. That's passion, isn't it? A passion to know Christ. Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. This is why Paul wanted to go to Spain. Paul had heard that there were people in Spain who didn't know Jesus, who had never had the opportunity of hearing of Jesus. They'd never met a follower of Jesus. And Paul said, I want to go there because I know Jesus and I love him. We don't actually know if if he did get to Spain or not. Scriptures don't tell us there's different historical ideas, whether he got to Spain and then was arrested again. But his passion, his desire to go there and to make Christ known, because 
Simply there were people there who had never heard the good news. And I suggest that a passion for Jesus will help us transform the way we view the world, the way we prioritize our lives. As we grow in our love for the Lord, as we grow in our desire to to know him, well, there'll be a natural overflow for us to want to make him known. We were praying as Dada led us for different situations around the world. What, What do we see today? The most heartbreaking situations. Just put these these um, pictures up, the, the sort of things that are, that are happening in the world. Of course, the terrible situation in the Middle East, and then we have the, the ongoing war in Ukraine, the floods in Libya where so many lost their lives, the earthquake just recently in Afghanistan, but before that in Morocco, and then we go back um, to Turkey and Syria earlier in the year the continuing conflict in Yemen, the suffering of people in East Africa through famine and and different conflicts. And we talk of the persecution of our brothers and sisters in places like North Korea and northern Nigeria and so many other places. We recognize, don't we, the, the times that we're living in, the incredible needs that there are in the world. Think of one out of every four children in sub-Saharan Africa that will grow up without having any or a proper education. We think of one out of three children in that same region of sub-Saharan Africa who will grow up malnourished. I'll never forget, just before COVID, visiting southern Bangladesh in Cox's Bazaar where the Rohingya people, 1.8 million people, were ethnically cleansed and had to leave Burma, Myanmar. And being there in a refugee camp where the UN said there were 740,000 people, everyone there said there's at least a million here. As far as the eye could see, people living in horrendous conditions. And here's the thing, that was a few years ago, they're still there. And there's no hope for them, humanly speaking. There are no followers of Jesus or very, very few followers of Jesus amongst them. We could talk of the Dalit untouchables of India, the Jugani people, the brick kiln slaves in Pakistan, the elderly in places I would visit in Eastern Europe, the young people on our streets in our cities of the United Kingdom. What do we see? when we look out at the world today as followers of Jesus. When my wife Helen and I first moved to Moldova, we were helping plant a church in a small town called Nisporen. And one evening, we decided on a Saturday evening to visit a, a, a lady called Ria who had been coming along to the church. And Ria had been bringing her children along to the church. And we were trying to encourage her in in the faith and just this small fledgling church was just beginning to grow. So we went to visit her and we tried to encourage. I'd never seen such a, such a difficult living conditions and this small little house that she was living in. There was no electricity, no running water, no heat. It was cold. It was miserable. A small homemade beeswax candle on the, on the table. And there she and her mother and a couple of small children were just sitting trying to warm something that she'd 
grown in her garden. And we tried to encourage her and pray with her and keep coming along. The Lord sees your need. The Lord can meet your need. Come along to the church. Bring the kids along. And as I was leaving, we looked in the adjacent room next to where they were staying and someone had been doing some repairs. It looked like the floorboards, some of them being ripped up and and I kind of asked her, you know, what's, what's happened here? Are you doing repairs in the house? And she was very embarrassed. And she said to me, well, actually, just a couple of weeks ago, my father died. And we didn't have any money to pay for the funeral or pay the priest or even buy a coffin. So I took the floorboards up and I built a coffin and we, we buried my father like that. I can remember going back to the little apartment where we were staying and we got on our knees and prayed, Lord, what can we do? It was as if the Lord just whispered, Matthew, do you see? Do you see there are 17,000 people in this village, just like Rhea? So few followers of Jesus and there are 47,000 in the region. And then there's four and a half million in Moldova and, well, we're now at eight billion in the world. And we think of the physical needs, we think of the spiritual needs. I was speaking this morning, 8 billion people in the world, 3 billion have never heard the gospel. More than 2 billion live in places, communities, towns, cities, where there is no gospel witness, there's no followers of Jesus. Our friends at Wycliffe Bible Translators tell us there's 1.5 billion people with no access to the full Bible in their own language. Still more than 6,000 unreached people groups in the world. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what must we do? Pray. Jesus himself, pray that the Lord would send workers into the harvest field. The problem is that's a dangerous prayer. We can pray, Lord, here am I, send, send my brother, send my sister, Lord, send workers to these places to bring the good news. And the Lord might just turn around to us in our prayer and say, how about you? What are you going to do? We go back to Romans 15. We're talking of Paul's passion to make the gospel known. I want to go to Spain because people there have never heard the gospel. Previous to this, in uh, just earlier in the chapter, he's, he's written about his understanding. I was speaking a little bit about this this morning, wasn't I? Uh, he, he's speaking in the understanding that the gospel is for all. That's the theme of today. The gospel is for everyone. And he speaks about the Gentiles coming to know the Lord. I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, all you peoples, you, you, the ethnos, the nations, the tribes, the peoples of the world, all of them, God's heart for all. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, the one who will arise to rule over all the nations. In him, all peoples will help. All the ethno-linguistic people groups of the world can come to know Jesus. Paul understood this. Oh boy, he was passionate about this. That's why he said, I don't want to, I don't want to stay here. I want to keep going. I want to go to places where Christ is not yet known. For God so loved the world. He loves me. He loves you. And he loves the whole world, all the peoples. He longs. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to a saving knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. So we're moving towards the end. 
Today we are on this special missions-focused Sunday. We're speaking about mission. I'm trying to preach about mission, reminding us of the need and of the call. But I want to say it's probably all a waste of time if we don't first love Jesus. If we're not passionate about Jesus, then there's no point trying to get people passionate about mission. It begins with Jesus. Paul's passion, primarily to know Christ and then to make him known. So maybe this evening as we're we're in God's word, God himself might be speaking to some of us, reminding us of his love for us through Christ. Maybe challenging us to rekindle our love for Christ, our passion to know him. Maybe sometimes to lay aside other things so that we take more time, quality time with him. I started with the question, what are you, what are we passionate about? How passionate are we for our faith? Wanting to be in God's word. Finish with this thought from Isaiah, Isaiah 6. It's a mission Sunday and I haven't mentioned Isaiah 6 yet. So I'm going to finish with this and you know where I'm going. But Isaiah, you know, he's a priest. He turns up in the temple to lead worship. And then he's surprised that God, God himself turns up. And he, he glimpses something of the holiness of God. And it's when Isaiah glimpses the holiness of God, he recognizes his own sin. And he recognizes he's living amongst a sinful people. And it's then that he's flat on his face before God that he, well, he repents for himself, for the people. And it's in that context that he says, Lord, here am I. Lord, if you can use a simple person like me, use me. Here am I, Lord. I place my life into your hands. And I wonder as we close if we can pray if the Lord is leading us just to respond to him. Father, as we come before you and we're reminded of the passion that Paul had for you and for preaching your word and so many saints in the last centuries have known you and made you known, those who brought us the gospel We thank you, Lord, for your work in our lives. We thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for the freedom we have to own a scripture and read in our own language, to meet here, to worship in such extraordinary music. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms we have. And we know that so many around the world don't even know anything of your son, Jesus. Lord, so many, we do ask that you would work in our hearts. Give us your compassion. Open our eyes, Lord, to get our priorities right. Forgive me when I turn away from you and run in all sorts of other directions. Lord, we respond with the prophet Isaiah all those years ago and say, Lord, here we are. Work in us, forgive us, and send us out. Help us, Lord, to be faithful 
to the calling that you've placed in each of our lives for the sake of your kingdom and in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.